Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, what's up everyone? And welcome to this very special episode of Stay Grounded, a re-release again with my dear friend, coach, and guide, Dr. Amy Albright. So this is another one of my favorite episodes that I recorded this year. This is one of my favorite human beings that I met this year and one of the most impactful human beings to enter my life this year. This conversation was all about waking up your spiritual gifts. And I recorded this, I think back in like February or March when I was really starting to just lean into what my gifts even are and how do I go about finding them and how do I go about waking them up? And when I first met Amy, she, she saw something in me that I didn't know how to see in myself. She looked at me with a certain tenacity and conviction and knowing that I just didn't know how to access within myself and it intimidated me. I told her that the first time I met her, I was like, you know, she just, she just looked at me like she knew that there was something more for me to unleash and wake up. And the last six, seven, eight months have been me sort of leaning into that, that uh, invitation, leaning into me exploring what it means to have spiritual conviction leaning into different tools to truly help me connect to God within myself, connect to the truth within myself, connect to aspects of creation that are unique to me so that I can truly step into the most authentic version of myself. And to give you a little background on who Dr. Amy is, she is just such a badass. She's a top-tier executive coach and strategic business advisor to high-level CEOs, leaders of multi-million and billion-dollar companies, and social change makers. With over 20 years of experience, Dr. Amy serves as a life-changing catalyst in her clients' lives. She blends neuroscience, consciousness, personal development, and business to truly actually facilitate extraordinary transformations. And I am certainly... (laughs) I've experienced quite a few transformations under the guidance of Dr. Amy. She's the co-founder of Whole On Evolution, where she's reinventing the operating system for leaders to connect deeply with their life's purpose and fulfill and accomplish their soul's calling. This is just one of the most powerful conversations. I would really call it even like a 101, like spirituality 101, if you would, that I needed to hear nine months ago. And as I go back and re-listen to this episode and reflect on all of the impact that this episode and the conversations following it and the efforts following it have opened me up. I just had to re-release it. So I hope this episode finds you guys well. We talk a lot about intuition. We talk a lot about what truth even is, what waking up is, reconnecting with indigenous wisdom, what are spiritual gifts, the power of presence, and so much more. I truly love Amy as a human being. I admire her as a coach and a, and a guide, and I'm so grateful that we all get to learn from her 
in this way on this episode. So I hope you find it beautiful and enriching. If you haven't already subscribed to the show on iTunes, all that means is that every single time we release a new episode, it drops straight into your inbox. Tag me on social media. Let me know what resonates for you, what lands for you. And I hope you're enjoying these re-releases and some of the context for it as I'm getting ready to do my yearly reflection. You know, this is the month where I sit down and reflect and look back on all the amazing conversations and lessons and perspectives that have truly shifted my life. And as I think about what I'm taking with me into the new year, I hope you're also allowing this time period to be that for yourself. So I love you guys. I'm so grateful for all of you. And without further ado, here is the amazing Dr. Amy Albright. Enjoy. Yo, yo, yo. What's up, everyone? And welcome to this week's very special episode of Stay Grounded. I hope everyone listening is having a brilliant day so far. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so, so stoked. Fun. This is so great. I, I just, I remember the first time we met, it was just like, we were sitting across each other at dinner and I mean, it was the most magical conversation for like a solid two hours. Left the conversation being, hell, I need more of this woman in my life. And here we are now. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really fun dinner. We were definitely jamming and dropping into a lot of fun places. So I'm excited. It's super amazing. And, you know, and I, and I think one thing I, I just appreciate most about your story is how you've grown to sort of trust your own spiritual intuition, right? Like it's been a journey for you of sort of waking up to it and then practicing it and then discovering it. And then at least in our conversation at dinner, like it was fully owning it and it was fully expressing it and fully, you know, putting your reputation on the line with it, like making big bets and bold claims. And I'd love to maybe start there and really actually untangling idea, like what is spiritual intuition? Maybe we can start there and allow the conversation to unfold. I would say it's the atrophied limb that we all have, that we have been trained to forget. It's an intrinsic part of self that in modernity we have lost, but it's actually just hardwired. The spiritual intuition, if we look at how our ancestors evolved before we got not only just into the world of technology, but into the world of industry, right? So how did the hunters and gatherers and how did all of those ancestors live and survive and thrive? It was through a feeling of interconnectedness with the all, some version of spirituality and understanding that they were a part of the all in a very intrinsic way. And then also working and utilizing their intuition not because it's a fun thing or like something that they would, you know, kind of like tout around town, but more it was of a survival instinct, mm. right? Is there a snake in the grass ahead of me? How do I stay alive? How do I find the food? Where is the hunt the best right now? So they would listen to the whispers in the wind and they would listen to the heartbeat of mother earth and they would commune with the animals. Native North Americans would refer to what we would consider inanimate and non-conscious beings like rocks. They would call them the rock people. So in our tribal roots, and therefore in our DNA, we have basically self-selected over those hundreds of thousands of years through those ancestors to actually be very, very refined, spiritual, intuitive instruments as a part of natural selection for survival. So 
what's happened is that we've been trained out of it. What's happened is that we've basically isolated ourselves from all of the truth and the reminders of it, the knowing of it in our own body. A lot of people who come from a spiritual tradition can think about and philosophize and intellectualize the construct of being a part of the all or have spiritual practices, but they're not necessarily linked in an embodied way to that. And a lot of people don't feel like intuition is for them. It's kind of, it's interesting. It's almost made into a cool kids club. Like there's people who are intuitive. There's the people with the gifts and then there's the rest of the people. And so there's this interesting barrier that can kind of happen in there is what I found. Yeah. And if you even go back through the logic of, of history, like why does that separation actually exist? Not between intuitive and non-intuitive, but between all beings and their embodied sort of spiritual connection. Well, um, I think it's a huge question. So I think that there's actually a really different spectrum of experiences based on who we're talking about. So I think that most mammals, because they don't have a prefrontal cortex, don't experience the separation as much. I think that we humans have gotten maybe a little too smart for our own good in certain regards. And that prefrontal cortex has us do too much distinguishing and too much intellectualizing, essentially creating contrast basically. And so we experience ourselves as separate in a way that I don't think that for instance, our dog would, right. They're like, we're in one big cuddle puddle, like you or me and I am you is kind of how they function. So that's just a different way of being. And so then why is that? Like, why, why would it be that as humans, we're having that distinction? I feel like that there is so much complexity to the human experience and to the human soul beyond that or, you know, kind of all woven through that, the current experience. And it would be a little bit overwhelming to bring in all of the knowing of all is one or kind of like the the soul's journey through time into one moment in time. It's a lot of information. So for whatever reason, which we can get into more, and I'd love to hear your take on it as well. I feel like that we're, we're only to know certain aspects of reality or certain aspects of self and really grow and stretch into more through our lifetimes. Well, I guess that just begs a, a, a different question. You know, why do certain people wake up and other people don't? Mm. That's the piece that I keep really listening to. I mean, like, I, I feel like when I, I don't know, for myself, I can only speak from my own vantage point. Like, I've always felt like there was this, this, sort of deeper whisper in my heart, deep in my, in my gut that like there was more and there was that curiosity. And I have several friends that I love that all grew up in the same environments, same households, same journeys, but they don't have that curiosity or even the awareness. And there's no right or wrong. There's just that, that separation and, and it, it creates a different life experience. And so I'm I'm curious if you, I mean, just from your own experience, having worked with so many different people, having seen so many different examples, like, is there anything that you've noticed along your journey or as to why certain people wake up and why certain people don't? I think that it has everything to do with not the upbringing. You know, we can get into the nature versus nurture psychology construct, but that's all still looking at the human inside of one lifetime. And I think that most of the time, the bigger questions get answered when we zoom out and we look at the level of the soul. And at the soul level, um, not everybody's in the same point. They're not looking for the same learning, you know, karma, not being punishment. Like a lot of, I don't think that's, I think that's the way a lot of people look at it, but more of just what is it that they're here to learn. And I think that certain souls have chosen to incarnate at certain times 
for that awakening experience. And maybe it happens as a part of birth, which is extremely rare. Maybe it happens earlier in life. It could come as sort of a lightning bolt moment later. I think for a lot of people, honestly, the awakening is a series of events that's happening inside of one lifetime where that whisper gets louder and then there's an event. And then what's interesting that I've, that I've found is a lot of times people forget about the event and then they go forward and then something else happens. And you're like, oh my gosh, this reminds me, actually, I had totally blocked out seven years ago. I had this amazing spiritual awakening experience and, and it just starts to knit together. It's the game of consciousness. It's kind of interesting. Like I, I remembered one of my first awakenings was when I, when I worked, I think I told you this over dinner, but when I worked as a petroleum engineer in my past, I had a mentor who passed who worked 37 years at the same company. And it was three months before his retirement date. And I remembered being in a, in a, in a cubicle near him. There were hundreds of people that knew him. And I was the, in, at least to my knowledge, one of the only ones that took that as a sign to wake up. Mm, right. There was everyone else who saw the same experience. But for some reason, I was like, I don't want that. I don't want that for my family. I don't want that for me. And it spurred this incredible motivation, inspiration to go become an entrepreneur. And that mm. drove me for a long time to the point of exhaustion. It drove me, which then led to another awakening in the form of another person <laughs> who said the exact opposite. And it was like, it's this, it, these like little, not failing way forward, but you're kind of like just falling and meandering along the journey with what's waking you up. And then you run and then all of a sudden you find the next level or the next awareness or the next right. aha or the next person, or even, you know, the next egoic surrender, death. I mean, there's just so many ways to, to, to look at it, but yeah, it's, that's how it's been for me at least. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's a little bit like finding yourself maybe running across slippery rocks across a stream at some points, or maybe it's the quiet stepping stones in a garden or the breadcrumb trail. I think part of the beauty of it is that we can't really predict it. And what we might stand on as our truth today, we might find the opposite kind of construct as true a week or a year or a decade later. And then it's our work to, you know, to be able to hold both what seem like desperate, disparate truths as one truth and really expand ourselves. So I love what you said, as far as the awakening that happened in the cubicle when your mentor passed away, seemed the opposite of what some other mentor said. And I feel like that's the rich, beautiful complexity that's you right now, right? That, that you want to absorb all of that, that you see all of that there's a depth of meaning making that's happening inside of you that mm. may not be happening for other people. Mm, I love that. That's a beautiful way to put it. The depth of meaning making. And it's, <laughs> I really feel like this is something that's keep coming up for me. Like, you know, the truth has a certain ring to it. Yeah. Like when you hear it, when you feel it, when you see it, when you're, when you taste it, when you're dancing with it, when it's just there, it's like you can, it's, it's, it's just like, ding. And, and that truth gets interpreted or wakes up a lot of you at the moment, right? Your, mm -hmm. your thoughts, your beliefs, your, your belief systems, your fears, it just wakes everything up and then it's all in front of you. And then it's for you to decipher between what's true, what's not, which route you want, which route you don't. And I think that's the, that's been for me, at least it's learning to, when I come back to spiritual intuition, it's almost learning to distinguish between the different types of intuitive voices that exist in my being, right? The, the voice of the mind, the voice of my, my, my heart and my feelings. And then there's like this deeper well of truth that's connected to 
the endpoints, which is like birth and death and, and mm. like the things that cannot be disputed in a mm. lot of ways. And, and so I don't know if you've, have you in your, I guess your lived experience, like had moments like those where you've just felt that sense of truth, like, and, and what did that look like for you in your own sort of awakening? I guess I'd have to rewind to when I was in my first year of undergraduate studies, I was at UC Irvine studying neurosciences with some really hardcore scientists. And my understanding at that point was that we were made up of neurotransmitters and chemical responses. And I had this very mechanized understanding of the human experience. And I felt like if we could study science enough, we could crack the code and understand what it is to be human. Suffice it to say, I was also in a lot of emotional pain. <laughs> I was super disconnected. I was trying really hard. You know, I was, that was the best that I had at that moment. I basically ended up on an acupuncture table for the first time at about that age. It sounds crazy, but I, I literally had a, an extremely profound spiritual experience where I could trace out exact meridian pathways and explain all these sensations to the acupuncturist. And then he was validating them and that was blowing my mind. And then, and then he left the room and, and I was just there with myself and I had an absolute like effervescent floating. I felt like I was levitating. I don't think I actually did, of course, but you know, I had this really profound experience of both being heavy and light and having all of this information rush into me. And the synthesis of all of that information was there is a God and science will never explain the phenomenon that I just had. And I don't know why I had that knowing, but that knowing it hit and it landed so deeply that it changed the course of my life because I started to study shamanism and indigenous ways of healing and all these um, rites of passages and traditions that have been used by indigenous people all over the world. And so I was incorporating that together with my brain studies. I shifted out of a little bit of the neurochemistry, neurobiology, and more into a cognitive psychology so I could understand how the brain impacts behavior. But I also wanted to understand behavior through time via anthropology. Mm -hmm. So that all happened because of a certain moment in time, you know, and, and, I feel like that there have been a, lo a lot of different poignant moments, basically a lot of them very early on in my career. I did not go to acupuncture school because of that moment. That wasn't like the calling moment. I had a different moment later, which was extremely clear in its instruction for me to go to school. And it wasn't until I was out of school that I realized that I had any spiritual gifts that I, that I, mm. that all of this could actually apply to me. I was doing that, which we were talking about earlier, like, oh, that's the world for people that have grown up in it or people that I didn't have access to it. So all through going to school to be in that healer role, I didn't feel like that I had access to the world beyond or that I had any gifts at all. What do you define as a gift? Well, it's a funny word first off, because again, I feel like it's innate inside of each of us. Yeah. Right. And gift kind of implies that somebody gave you something first off, like in particular, <laughs> or that it doesn't point. exist automatically. <laughs> So it's actually a word that I'm looking to remove from my lexicon because I feel like it's deeply confusing and it might imply exclusion rather than inclusionary understandings. But really, again, I would say it's that whole, it's the entire spectrum of living in that world of more expanse beyond what it is that we're trained. So being able to perceive or receive information or healing being able to, yeah, just exist outside of the normal realm of consciousness. 
I like to make things as simple as possible. So things like consciousness being very vague and floaty and kind of like a cloud, I find that a bit impractical, especially when I'm teaching it to um, high performers that are running extremely large businesses and kind of they, they want to hear it in more practical terms. So the game of consciousness, as I see it, is right now, no matter who you are, no matter how evolved or not evolved, there's always some version of a container that we're sitting inside of. And inside of that container, we can know the, the insides of it. And that's kind of it. We don't know what exists outside of it. That's beyond our conscious awareness. It's beyond our current level of consciousness. So as we continue to stretch and grow and do all of the things that we're doing, it could be personal development, it could be biohacking, it could be improving our nutrition, it could be you know any and everything, just intention to grow. What we're doing is we're basically stretching out into that next layer or that next container of consciousness. And eventually over time, we'll hit another like point of um, major change where we've morphed into something that we kind of weren't before. But there's a lot of back and forth sometimes in the in-between, or it could be that lightning bolt moment, that awakening moment, which again, there'll be many, many more after that. So as we then are in that next layer or that next container of consciousness, everything which was in the prior level of consciousness that felt like a problem is no longer a problem or a lot of it gets resolved just because you're sitting in that different perspective. So whereas maybe in a prior level, we were inside of this is right and this is wrong, or I had a trauma and therefore this means, you know, these kinds of things, we actually get into that more expanded state and we're able to hold a greater and more comprehensive, complex version of reality and truth with ease. And inside of that spaciousness, there's a lot of resolution of everything that's kind of inside of that old container, um, that old way of being that's pretty much automatic. And it's not in a spiritually bypassing kind of a way. It's literally a transmutation um, of a lot of what used to be difficult. And it's, it's much quicker and it's a totally different approach than a psychotherapeutic or more intellectual approach, I believe. You said so much in there, but I'm, I'm really loving the idea of resolution being that so-called gift you can call it whatever you want to call it right like but at the end of the day like a greater resolution of this human experience from your vantage point is special right and that is your specialness like at the end of the day like as you continue to grow you begin to see things hear things feel things know things understand things that are not necessarily limited to the construct of the mind. It's a synthesis of so much data and so many different aspects of you that are all coming together in this present moment. I, I love that. It, it reminds me a little bit of like, there's that quote, um, your job is not to seek love, but to remove everything which is blocking it from you, right? Something to that effect. And I feel like that, you know, inside of this game of evolution or inside of this game of finding our spiritual gifts, it's actually already all inside. It truly is. And removing the belief structures and removing this, the, the somatic, the body kind of experiences and everything that's, everything that's actually not real, everything that people identify as that's me, that's my personality, that's all. You know, the more that that lifts off, what we come to is this very core, real, very exquisitely unique soul self and that expression is the gift. So it's not that a gift is given to someone. It's that the gift is revealed. And mm. the gift isn't necessarily for the person, although that's absolutely the felt experience is that it's a blessed life to live in this way. But that also the gift is that that person's being revealed is magnificent for the rest of the world. 
It's a shiny example for everyone else without trying. There's no efforting in it. Right. And it's like the, like, that's why the, the brightest lights often give the permission, if you would, for the other lights to sort of rise. Like, it's like a, what is that? Uh, is it a Marianne Williamson quote? Our greatest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our greatest fear is that we are more powerful beyond measure. Right. Mm-hmm. And that is actually like what we are speaking to right now. This, this unabridged, unapologetic authenticity is actually the greatest gift that you can give another, you can give yourself the world. And it's like, it's almost like that, that magnificence that's felt is actually what the world is craving. And that's why it's so easy because you're actually not going against the grain of the universe. You're going into the natural evolution and cycle upwards of the universe, which allows all of this to just be. Right. Yes. And it quells that part of us that wants to stay humble because it's completely humble. This isn't an egoic, I am better or whatever. It's, it's actually, as we continue to evolve, the feeling and the experience of oneness becomes very real time. The idea of being better doesn't exist because you're inside of the all. So I know that that can, for some, seem like a very abstract construct, but that is really the way that it goes. But the other thing is, is that this is a non-performative state. I've seen a lot of people basically weaponize spirituality. It's another brand of being competitive and looking to be better than, Mm. right? And so if we are in the state of presence and if we are if we are allowing for the expanse of our true self to come forward, it's actually both a very powerful and a very vulnerable state concurrently. And it is so genuine and authentic and in real time and not being edited that it is by default humble. And there is no space inside of one's consciousness or awareness at that point to be competitive. It's, it's the antithesis of the state, right? It is automatically a loving state. Very early on, I received some um, mentorship from my grandpa, who was a transcendental meditator at that point for, I think, about 35 years. He ended up meditating for a lot of decades of his life. And what he shared with me is that the most important thing that you can ever give another person is your loving presence. Mm. So it takes a lot of that, I think, the pressure, right? So the the pressure to provide on a material level, the pressure to perform on a, you know, how does my Instagram or my LinkedIn look, you know, all of these kinds of things. Like if the most powerful thing is your loving presence that you can give to someone else, it levels the playing field. A seven-year-old can do it just as well as a 70-year-old. It doesn't matter where you've come from, how much money you have or haven't made, whether you've done things that you wish that you could do over whether, you know, all of these kinds of things, we just come into the state of loving presence means I love me. I forgive me. I am me. And I see you. I love you. I forgive you. And we are here as one inside of a loving presence. It's super simple. It's the best medicine. You know, I want to say it's simple, but it's not easy. It's taken me certainly a lot of work to even understand the idea of just the the magnitude of what you just said, right? Which is like just being is more valuable than doing. Right. Yeah, it's the antithesis of our training, right? It is everything that's opposite. How many times do we try to do so we can feel needed so that we can fulfill our own unmet need instead of just loving, being holding space. Yeah. 
I mean, holding space is, I think, one of the most valuable skills that we as human beings can, I mean, like to me, that is like that art of being. The art of being is the art of holding space, which is just loving. Like, were you always great at holding space or did you have to sort of evolve into that in your own journey? You know, it's hard to know what I was like when I was a kid. I can definitely tell you that by the time I graduated from um, the first round of acupuncture school, so I was in my mid-20s, I think I was already pretty good at it at that time because I remember very clearly patients would be coming to me. I was a primary care provider in the state of California. I was treating acupuncturists and natural medicine docs. No, we treat the hardest cases. We treat all the ones that basically the medical model can't solve for all the mysteries. So these people are coming and I'm like, yeah, I probably have not learned. I mean, there's no way anything that I've learned is going to help this particular patient right now. So I just learned to listen so deeply because I had to set aside, what if I don't know how to help them? What if they die? You know, what if they continue to have all of this suffering? What if, what if, what if, and I just had to set aside all of my own fears and and potential inadequacies and become completely freaking present with them. And really that's what I credit the opening of my spiritual gifts to is that I drove my awareness to be so present with them that other aspects of me or other aspects of the divine could come through me so that I could be used basically as an instrument to speak whatever message they needed to hear to know how to bring energy through my body to help them to heal in ways that I had never been trained. So the listening ended up being, it's a multi-sensory listening. It was like all at once listening and transmitting and you know receiving and transmitting energy and information inside of a field that was just set up with me. And, and it was often a complete stranger, you know, which was a part of the, the beauty of it is you never know what's going to happen and just having to be present and keep on grounding through the fears or the doubts, not allowing myself to fall inside of a negative or limited construct and believing always in miracles so that I could help to co-create them. So it was a very, very deep listening. (laughs) Yeah. What do you, what do you think is happening in presence? It's a really good question. I kind of want to go a few different directions with it. One is that there's a coherence that is um, found between the two brains of the people. There's a coherence of the heart rate variability. Like things start to sync up. Like there's a lot of biological sync up that's happening. We as mammals are designed to be inside of that state of presence and for that state of presence to be super healing. So as soon as we go into that, it sort of self-fulfills. It's actually in certain ways easier to be in presence with a human and have eyes open than it is to close eyes and be a meditation by, by yourself, I feel. And then beyond that, I would say that it's when we're really, really present with another human, we're inside of a space of openness and receptivity. And we begin to, on an energetic and emotional level, remember that we are not an isolated being. Our being too smart has us believe, and, and also a lot of societal conditioning has us believe that we are individual units kind of floating around and not connected and responsible solely inside of ourselves for X, Y, and Z. Like there's just layers upon layers of illusion. When we're really, really present with someone else, there's actually an, an, an energetic layer that opens up in our field and merges with the other. So it looks a little like that Venn diagram kind of a thing. And it's inside of that connection space that we remember the connection to the all. 
And that's really, really powerful, especially to whatever extent we can allow ourselves to feel that because that's really our natural state. That's how we're designed to be. I guess for mere mortals who haven't entered that space frequently, how do you increase your capacity to feel? Because I think you mentioned, you just mentioned like, you know, like to the degree that you can allow yourself to feel, what is the journey of increasing that capacity so you can actually serve in the ways that you're, you're expressing right now? Yeah. It's the basics as far as take good care of body on all the levels. I'm sure you guys, you know, you, you know, and, and the audience here knows a lot of ways that that might speak to. It's also, of course, clear out the gunk of the mind and the, and the energy body. Um, but I also have a really powerful breath. If you, if you want to try it, um, Hell you, yeah. want to, you want to do it right now. Okay. Let's yeah, do I it. Do. <laughs> <laughs> so this breath was given to me by my um, non-physical teachers. Again, in meditative states, when you're in an intuitively open space, you get all kinds of information that's super helpful. Well, I'll actually layer in two different tools. So these two tools by themselves are the foundation of a practice of being in an open, connected, present, and also spiritually awake and aware and intuitive state. And they're so easy. So, so easy. So I'll invite us to close our eyes. And just notice that you have a body and that it's breathing without any efforting or changing anything. Good. Become aware of the skin of your entire body, the largest organ, that which envelops your sacred physical form. Good. Now, you might have noticed that I'm kind of playful. This is a lot of intuition requires creativity and playfulness. So we're going to pretend that you could tune into and be aware of all of the pores of your skin. There are probably billions, if not trillions of them, as they completely cover and surround you. All the pores of skin, good. And I promise we're going somewhere good with this. Now we're going to get even more playful and imagine that you can inhale Gently, softly, sweetly through all of the pores of the skin simultaneously. And just continue to tune into that soft, sweet inhale. Allow for your awareness to bring the breath through the pores of the skin of the scalp, the back, palms of hands, every last area of your body. Good. And we're not paying attention to exhale. Exhale is just going to do whatever it does. Let me just focus on those inhalations. So I call this the whole on breath. It is the breath that has us drop into a feeling of connection to the all, not just as a philosophical state, but as an embodied state. So continue to um, have this breath happen. Let's go ahead and put it, since we get to make up all the rules inside of consciousness and awareness, we're going to decide that we can put this breath on autopilot. So let's have another breath or two 
conscious awareness, and then we're going to tuck it into autopilot mode. Remember gentleness. Good. The other thing that is very key is that because we are mammals and we cannot outsmart or change that as an outcome, we need to remember that safety is a very, very primal and essential biological need. And a lot of the times when we see animals who are feeling unsafe, they have their tail tucked between their legs. So I'd like for us to right now become aware of our tailbone. So at the base of the spine, there's a sacrum, which is the triangle shaped bone. And beyond that, there's a little, you know, one or two inch or however long length of tailbone. We don't have an external tail, but that tail matters. And a lot of the times it's tucked between our legs because of stress or trauma whatever. And so what we're going to do is just allow awareness there, allow for maybe you want to envision energy there of a color, or maybe you just want to bring your awareness there and allow for a little micro movement if needed, but it's not really about the physical level. It's more about just deciding to be kind of that happy dog with not tail between legs, but tail kind of out behind at that right place. Good. Just notice how that feels, how the body shifts. Good. And then let's allow for the tailbone to just do its thing. We're going to come back to awareness of the breath through the skin. Soft, sweet breaths. Good. All right. And we'll just leave these on autopilot and we can talk about them more. And when you're ready, we can open eyes. It's interesting. Like, I feel awesome, by the way. But <laughs> second, <laughs> hopefully nobody was driving when right. that happened. Um, we should put a little caveat at the beginning of this episode. Totally. It's like, do not drive while listening. But what was interesting is like when I went from just breathing to like, experiencing my body breathe, like I actually felt the capacity in my lungs increase. Yeah. Like noticeably, like I actually felt myself like, but I, like my body didn't change, but I felt like an inner body kind of mm-hmm. like expand. And that was really cool. And um, yeah, I, I feel more dropped in. I think that's the right word. Like really dropped into presence, my body, I love, yeah, land of no thought, which is slower. Yeah, isn't that nice, right? You know, and I and I love the ability to just connect with this in such a simple way. Yeah. Because I think that's what's necessary. Like, I think for me, I get so busy sometimes that I lose the reference point of this. Mm-hmm. And so then I have to be pulled into a healing experience or I have to right. go to like a, an event to get there. And sometimes it's just beautiful to remember. And I'm really appreciating that reminder right now that... You know, we have the capacity to drop in just like that on our own without anything outside of us. That's right. It doesn't except Amy's voice. Except Amy's voice. (laughs) (laughs) If I had to throw in a caveat, that was that was helpful. (laughs) 
good. <laughs> yeah, but this is, I mean, the, the power of this tool is that it's always there. You're always breathing. You always have the capacity to shift into this breath. Nobody but you has to know because we did it the first time eyes closed. It's more powerful, but you can just do it there. You know, right now you can just, it felt like you just shifted. I just saw you kind of like get more expansive. So, mm. you know, you can just shift at any point. You can basically modulate your own state, your own state of awareness, your own state of presence. Anytime that you think of it, it doesn't have to be, you know, oh, I have a massage scheduled at two and I'm going to slam out a bunch of emails and I'm going to run across town. I'm going to do all these things and And then you land and you have a healing experience or you attend a spiritual event and that's where spirituality exists. That bifurcation is why we suffer, basically. Well, it's like the lived. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, like we're not, we're not monks living in, you know, caves anymore. Totally. Like we're, we're lived human beings who live in cities. There's noise. And like, mm -hmm. like, I feel like real time living spirituality is what you just practiced. It was this yeah. awareness, this living awareness of your internal state and knowing when you are disembodied or disconnected and, and, and just even the gift of awareness in that, like, yeah. Just being aware, I mean, that's so powerful. You know, like I feel like we just we're all running around with dysregulated nervous systems, like just on full fleek. And so it's it's just encouraging. Like, you know, I, I'm reminded again and again and again and again how simple spirituality can actually be. Like the journey of connecting with yourself is is such a simple practice. It takes awareness and and a little bit of encouragement and help. Mm -hmm. And, but that's what this podcast is doing. That's what, you know, if you're listening to this, you have tools like these and individuals mm -hmm. like Amy who are here to share and learn and love and energetically send that loving presence. And I think this is, it's just important to remember that we're not alone, even when we feel like we're alone. Mm, I'm so glad you hit on that. One of my favorite yeah. things to remind people is that alone is an illusion. Mm -hmm. You can be sitting in a room by yourself. You could feel completely isolated emotionally. You know, I work with a lot of CEOs, right, of large companies. And there's a phrase that says leadership, it's lonely at the top. And so there's a lot of people who are actually high performing. They have all the appearances of having it all together. They're charismatic, they're loving, and they're so painfully alone inside because they're disconnected from themselves and their spiritual connection and to being present. And to actually feeling safe to connect with other people. So the lie that we live often, if we're not careful, is that productivity means pain. That being uh, successful is painful or, or a, a disconnection from health. And that it's in conflict with spirituality. It's in conflict with intuition. I would like to flip the whole thing on its head and say the most successful people in any domain, whether it's pro athletes or business or whatever, they always have actually an enhanced intuition, whether they know they're using it or not. They go with their gut. Something tells them what to do, how to move. They feel, they feel instructed in many ways, or they just know how to analyze a business deal, look at all the numbers and then go with their gut and they end up making the right call. So there's an intuition that's there for all of us it can feel in conflict, but I think that's because we have this old, like you said, the monk meditating in the cave model where it feels like we have to make a choice. But what, and what I've been doing in this last decade is actually, you know, doing things like increasing top line revenue 3X in three years or less, 
using these sorts of practices. It's not interesting to me to grow businesses or make money or help other people make money. What's interesting is to do that in the interest of the greater good. So, you know, how can we align so that we are present, so that we are more loving, so that we are more connected to community and to meaning, making meaning and finding meaning constantly inside of our lives. If we're not rich internally, it doesn't matter what we have externally at all. In fact, to the contrary, it can just make it more painful. I have so many questions for you, but one just popped up like a second ago and it was, do you believe there's a way to actually teach meaning making to kids? Oh yeah. It's easy. Really, you just don't unteach it. That's one of the biggest things. But yeah, one of the favorite workshops that I've ever taught was to a bunch of preschoolers and they just get it. Like the world is magic for them and they understand interconnectedness and they're inside of all that playful energy all of the time. So if you ask them to work with their energy or to send energy and healing and love to something, they don't hesitate. They don't filter it. They just do it. And it's all in the spirit of play. So, you know, I, I think that when I look at what I've done with my son, he's now 14. What I've done over the years is show him that everything, you know, really a lot of it, I think is about nature and making meaning from nature. Kids really get that translation very directly and asking him to not just look at, but to feel the grass, not just the blades of grass with your foot or your hand, but how does, how does sitting on this grass feel in your body as we sit on the grass? You know, it's so beautiful. Like one of my really dear friends, she lost her husband to cancer last year and she's got a four-year-old daughter and a seven-year-old son. And I look at, you know, her, her daughter, who's, who's, who's my goddaughter actually. And I, and I look at her and I'm in awe of how she feels her daddy more every single day. Like, it's like we adults have this this disconnection from that magic. But for that little girl, there's this like this connection with her daddy that she talks to him every day in the most beautiful way. And it's just, it's hers and it's a part of her life. And, Mm -hmm. and it's, there's so much wisdom in remembering that magic and that playfulness. And I'm so glad you mentioned that a few times, because I think we get so caught up in spirituality and needing to be serious and hard and do the work, like even those ideas, like play is such a fundamental high vibrational sort of frequency that like, it's, it's kind of like, have you seen Monsters, Inc.? Yeah, totally. And you know, the, the movie, like if you haven't watched it, guys, go watch it. First of all, I'm going to ruin it for you. So it doesn't matter. (laughs) But like, you know, the beginning of the movie, they're all collecting energy in the form of screams, which is fear. Right. And then like this little baby escapes from the doors and she's in monster land and all of a sudden she starts laughing and it like blows out the entire building because the energy of laughter was 10, 20,000 times more than the energy of fear. And, yeah. you know, that simple idea, even, you know, I've been really leaning into that more with work, especially like, you know, what feels like play, what feels like fun, what feels inspiring and like light and allowing that to be the the North Star, because why would the universe create those states and why would they be so easy to act on if they yeah. didn't have purpose in this grand unfolding? Oh, so well said. Yes, I love it. I love it. Again, when we shift in that more elevated state, or or let's just even say that we're climbing on top of a mountain and looking down, 
you can see all of what has existed, you know, like all of the hardship and whatever, but it's so important to have that perspective and that distinction, that a sense of separation from your story or the difficulty so that you can actually then be effective at working on it. If you're inside of it so deeply, if you're really in what, cause what ends up happening when people are really in it, you can be in it for a minute, but I mean like in it in the long-term way what happens is that they become enamored with their story. They become, you know, wedded to their trauma and all like those kinds of things. A, I like to call it, you're kind of stuck in your own cheap reality show. And yeah, you're just exactly. watching, you're just watching the reruns over and over and over again. And you're just feeding your own sad <laughs> shit. It's just again and again and again. And yeah. I mean, I've gotten caught in that. I'm sure you have. Oh, like yeah, we've totally. all, it's like a part of the journey of actually going into it, doing the work, getting caught in it, and then all of a sudden realizing how silly it is, and then going another layer, getting caught in it again, and then just like I feel like it's like this spiral upwards where I feel like I, I approach one boss and then I vanquish the boss, and then all of a sudden I meet him again and I fall for the same tricks. It's the game. It's, it's just what it is, right? I mean, that's you're you're describing consciousness as as it's stretching and and evolving mm. outward. It's the same thing, right? It's it's the level of awareness. So if if we're in pain, what we know is that we are not in that moment expanded enough to be able to be out of a place of pain. So if it's too much pain to be able to work with the thing, because we do want to work with some of the shadow stuff, it is important to get in there time to time, right? When we're in that state, though, if we're overwhelmed with pain, we're not effective. So what I like to do in that case is imagine that you're standing inside of a vertical column of energy or light or whatever. And if that column is too squeezed down, the stuff that's wanting to leave um, kind of like up that tubing, like as if you're standing in a big drinking straw, it can't get out. So you just literally allow for it to expand, right? And so you might work with that breath a little bit, the whole on breath to come back into that holographic nature of the universe, into the connection. And then suddenly you have just enough space inside of that, that you're not in so much pain and you can be with, we want to be with and get these things like loved on out of us or released, right? It's important to reflect, but it's also so important not to re-traumatize or overanalyze. Like we're doing it from the perspective of the wise one that is holding space for a, a slightly expanded container and the wise ones looking over and making sure that this is all on track because we know that this this thing that we're experiencing, this this pain, this this pattern that we're pissed off about, or you know whatever it is that it's happening again, that too is an illusion, and it's also real, right? So being able to be with it being real, while the wise one says, "Yep," and when you're done with this, you're going to feel so much better, and there is another side to this, and it's okay to breathe in peace right now, and the wise one's telling you, "I believe in you." And then the wounded one's like, wow, I want to die right now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it's, it's the dichotomy of both of those and, and that solid presence of that loving part of self, right? That can hold space and keep the rest of you safe. All of that is happening at once. And, and that's a very effective and an efficient way to do transformation and really get free and get into that next level of expansive container. That's so good. I I just love you. You're so awesome. Like you really are just like the most loveliest. Like it's oh, it's just, it's so much fun. Like I had a feeling we were going to have such a fun and like 
I just, it was going to be a conversation that I had no idea where the hell it was going to go, to be completely honest. And it yeah. like went exactly where it was supposed to. And, and you, you mentioned the Holon, was it the Holon Breath? The Holon uh, Breath. Yeah. So I, I know Holon is the name of your, your art, your work. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what Holon is, what, and, and, and just that and, and all of it? Just, just give a sure. little, I'm sure people listening are like, what the heck does Amy do? <laughs> I know. It's really, it's actually pretty hard to explain in a nutshell. I've never figured out how to fit it on a business card. Not that I have business cards anymore, but I, so I'm a doctor of Chinese medicine. I spent probably the first decade doing a lot of Chinese medicine for sure, you know, nutrition, all kinds of fun, 3D world, like helpful tools. But I also did a lot of just working as an Oracle and I would have people wait up to a year to be a client for the first time very early on in my practice. And I would change their lives in their very first uh, meeting. And some people chose to continue to work with me. And some people, it was enough of a lightning bolt that they needed maybe a year or more to go and integrate it and do all of the things. So that was kind of the first decade. Second decade, I spent a lot of time building and scaling businesses and working with business leaders and change makers of all different sorts of industries. And I'm still working with that crowd now. But what I'm doing now is I'm really in a much more deep way integrating the spiritual power, basically, that I've had for myself and that I've been using for the last two decades. And I'm more able to articulate it and teach it at this point in my own evolution, which is really exciting. Also, I've, I've spent, um, I've had a lot of attention in these last about 12 years on neurosciences again, which is, you know, coming back from my undergraduate degree. So the business that my company now is the Holon Experience and Holon is H-O-L-O-N. It comes from the, the Latin root of holos, or um, maybe a lot of people know about what a hologram is. So inside of a hologram, every single unit of it represents has a representation of the totality and is an intrinsic part of the totality. So we all are a representation of the all that is, and we are also intrinsically a part of all that is. And that's a very giant concept. And we've been working towards the embodied knowing of it in this conversation, but that's why we call it whole on experience because the work isn't just to know that we are all one and that we are connected but to actually have that as a lived experience. So basically my art form and my, um, and my work is to make this extremely practical, also very accessible with something as simple as the breath. My colleague, Dr. Drew Pearson, and I offer deep state and um, all sorts of other types of neurofeedback therapy to help enhance the state of being. I offer one-on-one coaching and advising mentoring for business leaders, change makers, And then I'm also this year kicking off a mystery school, which is going to be open to a larger group of people who aren't necessarily, you know, running a business, but do really want to learn this entire body of knowledge, including the very specific skills to open up their intuition and their, the gifts of who they are into their expression. So great. I just want to want to honor the journey because I can, I can feel it, and and I really appreciate, you know, you even kind of giving yourself a pat on the back, you know, with you being able to say you can, you're at a space in your journey where you can articulate a lot of the things that came so naturally intuitive to you, and and I think that takes a certain level of mastery, 
And um, I feel that in you. And I, and I just really appreciate you sharing so much of your heart and your soul and your lived experience um, with myself and everyone here. I mean, truly from the bottom of my heart, just thank you for being Oh, thank you. You're just so, you're so, you're so great. Um, I got one last question for you. Okay. In the midst of everything you're doing, everywhere you've been and everywhere you're going, how do you stay grounded? I stay really connected to my body and I remember to take small breaks. So even inside of a busy day, can I take 10 seconds right now? Can I, can I reclaim, can I reinstate that breath, the whole on breath that I was describing through the skin? What's up with my tailbone? You know, am I remembering? Right. Cause it happens. I mean, we just, we do, we start to run around with the doctor and he's like, there's a pelvic tilt thing and there's, you know, whatever, like I've seen it for so long and then realized what that really is. Right. So, you know, am I allowing myself to feel the radiance of my being in this moment? Am I allowing my aliveness in this moment? And I'm really honestly, very constantly bringing myself back to that because again and again and again, I'm saying to myself and to the all that is, yes, yes, I am here to be fully alive. Yes, I receive. Yes, I'm here to give. Um, Yes, I'm part of all of it. Mm -hmm. And it's just keep on coming back to that. I feel like it cuts through a lot of the bullshit about what's on my to-do list or the deadline that I'm making sure that I want to hit or I'm deciding, you know, whatever it is, right? Like we can all pressurize ourselves with basically made up shit in the 3D world. That's not actually that real or that important. So bringing myself back to that biggest perspective, but and anchoring it into my body is what keeps me really sane. I just love the, the, the macro big perspective, but coming back to the body. Yeah. Body is the temple of the soul. And yeah. um, I just so appreciate that. Well, Ken, Amy, thank you for being here. Everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your new friend, Amy. And from us, stay grounded. We'll chat soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.